Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Whether you are listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And let me ask you this question. <laughs> oh, those blowers are such a good idea. Okay, uh, let me ask you a question. How do you make decisions? Personality tests... Uh, distinguish between people on just how they make decisions. And some of us are decision makers where we are sort of methodical, maybe a little slower, we're a little cautious, we write out lists, we make sure, we go back and forth, we get advice, we're sort of open-ended, you know, we're that kind of a decision maker. I tend to be that kind of decision maker. I'm a little bit, uh, sometimes uh, my wife will tell me, a little slow on making decisions, but I just want to be really sure before I do that, that that's the way I am. Let me just ask this question. How many of you are kind of slower decision makers, a little more cautious? You take your time, write your list, do all that, okay? All right, and then there's the other kind of decision makers. My wife is a little more like this, which is they are very decisive. They hit a situation, they have an intuitive feeling, they just tend to go ahead and make that decision. Their idea is, I'll make the decision. If it's not the right one, I can come back and fix it, but I want to move. They're, you know, just again, a little more urgent, and they just kind of move along. Uh, How many of your decision makers are a little more like that? All right. How many of you don't know what kind of decision you're making? In fact, you're asking your neighbor what kind of decision maker you are. Okay, you're more like me. Just so you know, that's more like me. Okay. Well, here's an interesting thing is that uh, studies have been done, and they say that there are basically five major decisions that we make in our life that really form our life. Now, for different people... Those decisions may be slightly different, but that the average person comes to some crossroads, a big crossroads, five times in their life. And uh, I know for me, I had a crossroads when I was entering my junior year in high school, and it was the first time I was presented with what it meant to be a Christian and whether to follow Jesus. And I made a decision to do it at that point, and that really changed the whole course of my life. And then a few years later, I met this woman and uh, sort of thought, fell head over heels for her, and uh, Julie would say that I made this decision a little slow, that it took me a while to get there. In fact, she eventually made the decision for me and asked me to marry her. But anyway, that was a real important decision in my life, and that changed the course of my life. And then uh, we got pregnant fairly early on in our marriage, and we had two boys uh, at different times. And, uh, And that really wasn't much of a decision. It was sort of like, oh, we're pregnant. Whoa. Uh, But we waited for six years until we decided that we weren't done having children, and then we had two girls. And that was really a major decision, and it had a big impact on our life, and part of that impact is sitting right here. Raise your hands if you were part of that decision. You're not? Okay. They're so humiliated. Last time they'll come. Okay. But anyway, they have brought such joy to us, and, you know, obviously awesome, and you wouldn't have blowers if it wasn't for them or see balloons. So that was an important decision. We made decision about leaving Mariners about 20 years ago and just returning last September. And those are huge decisions in our life. And if you've been counting, I've given you four decisions that have had a huge influence. Uh, The fifth one I just made, which is, I am not watching American Idol this year. Without Simon, is there a reason? I don't think so. So that's my fifth one. I know that that will have huge ramifications. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) 
We've got a Steven Tyler fan there. Okay, so Jesus, we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus now has done a whole bunch of teaching and he is going to call everyone who's been listening to the sermon to a decision, to a decision point. So that's what we're doing today is we are, we are being called to make a decision. And it's very interesting because about 1,500 years earlier, Moses had done a very similar thing with uh, the children of God. And just to peel back to that, and you can see this taking place in the first five books of the Bible. And when it comes to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is basically Moses, after the children of Israel have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, a whole new generation has come up during this time. It is God's people. They are 40 years removed from being slaves in Egypt. During this time, they're being formed as a people. And Moses calls them together. And the book of Deuteronomy is basically him giving the teachings they need to have and the lessons that they've learned before they go into the promised land. And uh, when he gets to the conclusion in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, okay, I've laid out for you all the lessons we've learned. I've laid out for you all the teachings that God wants you to follow. I've talked to you about being the people of God and how you relate to each other and how you relate to God and how that's going to work. And then Moses says, it's decision time. You need to decide as you enter the promised land if you are truly going to be the people of God. You don't get it just by the fact that you're alive and breathing and sitting in this group. You get it because you make a decision that you're going to step in to the people of God, that you're going to lean in and do it. And so Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Uh, why don't we read it together? He makes sort of this crucial statement about decide. He says, let's read it, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with that, Moses says, I need to know if you are all in. I need to know that you're making a decision to you know, learn the lessons we've learned, to obey God, to live as the people of God, to worship the Lord your God. You must make a decision. And in fact, there's a line which this was the New Living Translation. It, it's, uh, there's a line that's in the NIV that is a little more accurate. And, and Moses just says this, for the Lord is your life. I love that line. For the Lord is your life. In the end, that's the decision. Are you for and with God or are you going to do it on your own way? For the Lord is your life. And here... Uh, Moses does something that's sort of politically incorrect. We don't like either or black and white statements, right? We like, hey, we like both and. You know what, I'll sort of do this and I'll sort of do this. I don't want to limit my options. But Moses very clearly says this is an either or decision. This is black and white. Furthermore, it is urgent. You need to make this decision now. Before we go into the promised land, it is decision time. 
And the great news is they made the right decision. As a people, they basically, you know, just echoed, we will follow God. And it is true. They went into the land. Some of you know the story of Jericho, where instead of having to fight against the people of Jericho and to try and tumble the walls themselves, they actually had a different way that they were going to bring the walls down. And how was that? They were going to blow their... All right. All right. Exactly. There you go. All right. Yes, when we enter Huntington Beach, horn blowing will be very important to us in our mission. Okay. So they blew their horns and the walls came tumbling down. And actually, the people of God, for the first generation and beyond, really, really followed God. It was great. But the story of the Old Testament, if you follow it through, is eventually that commitment that they made started to wane. And they started to listen to other teachers and to false prophets. They started to not obey and sort of ignore. And eventually it says that their hearts became cold toward God. And when Jesus shows up 1,500 years later, the Jewish people are in a mess. And what Moses had said really did happen. By not following God, by not making the Lord your God your life, there were consequences that were dire. And they were at this point were an oppressed people. They were under Roman occupation. They were poverty stricken. It was such a poor society that really to to know where you were going to sleep that night and to have food for the day was considered wealth in that day. Imagine that. That was considered wealth in that day. There was tons of confusion and a lot of infighting and there were rebellions that were coming up and the people were divided. And there was a whole religious sort of establishment that was very legalistic and sort of ripping people apart and pushing people away from God. It was not a good situation. What God had said, what Moses had told the people to commit to, sure enough, it was true. If you don't make the Lord your God, there's going to be huge problems. And as Jesus comes on the scene, that's exactly where the people of God are. There's huge problems. The consequences were really significant. So Jesus comes and he gives this Sermon on the Mount. And we've been talking about it for the last three or four weeks, different parts of the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the big picture. If you've missed it, here's what you need to know. Jesus is inviting people into the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not heaven when we die, though that also is the kingdom of God. I mean, that would be sort of the ultimate fulfillment. But the kingdom of God is any time that a person makes a decision that I am going to submit to what God wants me to do. I'm going to love God with my whole heart. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to live the way that God tells me to live as best I can. And to the degree that you do that, you're living in the kingdom of God. It's basically God's reign. And you're saying, I'm going to have God reign in me. And to the degree I I can, I'm going to influence the people around me and the things around me So that, you know, as it is in heaven, it will be on earth. That is God's kingdom, okay? It's an invisible kingdom, but very important, very real. And Jesus, basically, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, let me tell you how life in the kingdom of God works. So he says, and it's very dualistic, you'll notice this, it is either or almost all the way through. So in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about morality, And he says, you can live with morals that look good on the outside, but really on the inside doesn't change your heart. 
And he said, when it changes your heart, you're living in the kingdom of God. When you're doing it just for show, so that it looks good to other people, that's not the kingdom of God. So make a decision. Either it's in your heart, uh, or it's not. Make a decision. Then he moves to Matthew chapter 6, and he talks about religious practices. And he talks about there's the religious practices that look really good to everybody else. They look at you and they go, wow, that person is spiritual. That person is godly. But then there's the religious practices that come from your heart that only God sees. And Jesus says, when you do that, you're living in the kingdom of God. Then he talks about treasures. And he says there's treasures that are in heaven and treasures on earth. And he says when you pursue the treasures of heaven, you're living in the kingdom of God. Then he says there's two kind of eyes that we look at the world through. There are stingy eyes and there are generous eyes. And he says when you live with generous eyes, you're living in the kingdom of God. And then he says there's two kinds of masters that you can follow. You can follow the master of mammon or the master of uh, money, of you know, material objects. Some people serve that. Or you can serve the Lord your God. And when you do, you're living in the kingdom of God. And then last week, Kyle was here and he talked about judging. And he said, you can live as the judge on everyone else, never looking at yourself, just evaluating, judging other people, sentencing them to this, making your observations, making your judgments. Or you can live as the person that says, no, I'm going to look at my life first. It isn't that I won't help other people in their lives, but I'm going to look at myself first. And Jesus says, when you do that, you're living in the kingdom of God. And so he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in the last half of chapter 7, and no more teaching. There's no more teaching when we get to the point we're going to look at. Jesus says, it's decision time. Are you going to live in the kingdom of God? So that's what we want to look at. And he basically says that this major decision is made up by three smaller decisions or three parts to this decision. And the first one is, what path are you going to choose? Let's go ahead. We'll look at it. It's starting in verse 13, and it comes up on the screen, and it says this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Now, in that day and age, Uh, People were very familiar with when you came into a major city, let's say Jerusalem, that there were the main gates that people came through and they were very wide and people could walk in shoulder to shoulder. They could carry in, you know, they could bring in their animals, they could bring in carts, they could bring a lot of stuff into the gate at one time. That was one of the major ways into the city. But there were also city gates that were very small. They tended to be, the big gates would be closed at night. To get into the city during the night, the gate was narrow. It only allowed for one person at a time, and it was just a protective device in case the city was attacked. People couldn't get in quickly if they were trying to attack. So there was also the narrow gate. So everybody would have understood what Jesus was talking about, the broad gate, the narrow gate. But what's interesting about talking about these gates is that uh, the narrow gate, actually the, the actual translation is not just narrow, it is narrow and difficult. In fact, the word literally is to be pressed on. When this word narrow, to say narrow, is to say somebody is being pressed on and they're being sort of 
forced on and it's being sort of pushed on them and it's not as comfortable. It's a little bit difficult. It's a little bit hard. The wide gate, on the other hand, always sort of gave this idea of ease and comfort. And it was sort of this idea. If you go with the flow, you'll go with the wide gate. Everybody goes with the wide gate. It's just sort of the way that we all live. And so if you just sort of buy into what everybody's saying, if you go with the values that you just hear sort of promoted, if you just go with the flow, you're on the wide gate. So those are the two distinctions now that Jesus is setting up. And it's very interesting because he's talking to a Jewish audience. And a Jewish audience would have said, we don't need to make a decision about the road we're on. We're the Jews. We're God's people. We're already on the right road. And Jesus here is saying, no, you are not on the right road just because you're Jewish. And this has great relevance for us because uh, many of us would say, well, what do you mean we have to choose the road we're on? I mean, we're Americans. I mean, we're Christians. This is a Christian country. I'm on the right road by virtue of being born in the USA. Uh, my parents went to church. I go to church. I believe in God. I'm basically a good person. Why are you talking to me about the right road and the wrong road or the narrow road and the wide road? Of course I'm on the right road. And Jesus would say to us, no, not necessarily. You have a choice to make. It's very interesting. Jesus is basically giving us what I'm going to call the law of the funnel. And if you have your outlines, which do you guys, you guys have a paper outline? Do this for me real quick. Roll it up so that you have sort of a narrow side to your paper like this. And then you have a wide one. All right? I want to teach you about the law of the funnel, which Jesus is talking about right here, the narrow and the wide. Now, if you go in through, if you are traveling and you went in through the wide, and you kept on going through the wide, through the wide, through the wide, what would eventually happen? You would hit the narrow, right? Eventually, wideness becomes narrowness. Some of you have very wimpy things. They look the, the same on both sides. I want really a distinction. All right, but let's say you go through the narrow side, and you go through the narrow side, narrow side, narrow side. Eventually, it becomes the wide side. Now, let me tell you how this law works, and if you didn't get this done, don't even try anymore because we're kind of past that. But uh, here's the way that it works. Uh, let's take finances, okay? Uh, people that travel in through the wide end of the funnel on finances have the attitude, I'll, I'll go with the flow. You know, I'll get credit. I can live beyond my means. Everybody does. And you know what? I'll worry about it down the line, and I'm going to get a raise, and everything will be okay. So I'm just going to live. I'm going to buy the things that I want to buy right now, and I'm going to live a little beyond what I'm bringing in. But it's going to be okay, and I'm going to do that, and I'm sort of living my life that way. And what we know, pretty much, and if you've ever done it, and Julie and I have done this, so I can speak with authority about it, what happens when you go through that wide end of the funnel? What eventually happens? to your financial life, it becomes very constricted. When you start getting calls from people saying, uh, you're overdue, you owe us money. When you're waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because you don't know how you're going to take care of the financial situation you're in right now. 
when you're fighting with your spouse on a regular basis about your money situation, when you're looking forward to retirement and saying, oh my gosh, I am so upside down, I don't know that I could ever retire. Hey, it looks real narrow at that point. Conversely, if you go into your financial life and you say, you know what, I'm going to kind of tighten my belt. I'm going to be kind of cautious with this. I'm not going to live above my means. I know that I can't keep up with everybody else, but I'm just going to kind of live within myself, and I'm going to save money, and I'm going to put money into retirement, and I'm going to be generous with my money, and I'm going to do that. What we know is if you live that way, what eventually happens to your financial life? It becomes very wide. It becomes very freeing. All of a sudden, you have all kinds of security. You've got, you're never worrying about money because you've got, you've got it sort of taken care of. You've sort of handled that in the right way. You look forward to retirement, and you're like, we're going to be okay on that. It is the law of the funnel. It works spiritually as well. If you're going along in your life and you say, listen, I don't want to constrict myself by following Jesus. I mean, Jesus is going to tell me how I should live. Jesus is going to expect to be sort of my Lord and God. There's going to be, you know, kind of restrictions on things. I'm going to have to live a little narrowly. It's going to mean that people may not treat me the way that I like to be treated because I'm going to be one of those Christians and so forth. And so a lot of people say, I'm just going to live life my own way. I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to make my own moral decisions. I don't need Jesus to tell me how to live morally. I'm going to live in my own environment, and I'm going to just do life on my own. And if you've ever lived that way, and I know a lot of people who live that way or have lived that way, their life becomes eventually very constricted, right? All of a sudden, a couple of marriages later, kids aren't talking to you. You know, moral decisions you've made are coming back. The consequences are hitting you. Uh, You made financial decisions that are kind of wiping you out at this point. There's things happening in your career. You based all of it on the great Orange County dream, and the Orange County dream isn't paying off. And things start to feel real narrow, real constrained. This is not the life I thought I was getting into. And what Jesus says, but if you'll go through the narrow gate, if you'll come to me, and I know that sometimes it's harder, and I know that sometimes it almost feels like you're giving up certain freedoms to do this. Uh, Jesus even says, dying to yourself. I mean, those are sort of harsh words. But what Jesus says is that kind of life ultimately leads to the freedom that you want. Good decisions and good character is built. You, you get into a family, a community of people that share your values and move in the same direction. And you never have to worry about the purpose of your life. Is what I'm doing really meaningful? You don't need to worry about that anymore. Because you're laying up treasures in heaven, things that will never disappear. And Jesus says, it really widens out quite a bit if you'll go through the narrow road. That's the law of the funnel. And Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, take the narrow road. Because the narrow road eventually leads to freedom and purpose and significance. It leads to the abundant life. You take the wide road now, it's going to seem to offer you all these promises. In the end, it won't at all. And Jesus right here is saying, make a decision. It's really important. The course of your life, who will you follow? Then he moves on to the second decision that needs to be made. And it has to do with who you'll listen to. And I want to blitz through this because I want to really hit the last decision. But this is basically, who do you allow to influence you? And what Jesus says is that, 
He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't reproduce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's going to be all kinds of people. Once you make the decision to go on the narrow road, there's still going to be teachers or influencers that are going to act like they're helping you on the narrow road, but they aren't at all. They're called false prophets or false teachers, and they're leading you astray. And they're usually uh, ingenious because they mix in the truth with things that aren't true. But eventually, it gets you into a ditch. It moves you in the wrong direction. And here's the big point that Jesus is making. And uh, sometime we'll spend more time talking about this. You are responsible for who you let influence you. You are responsible. If I mislead you down the line, I'll be held accountable by God for that. But God's not going to come to me and say, you know, what about Tim? And what did you do to Tim? And all, Tim doesn't hold any of the blame for this. This is all on you. No, God will come to Tim and say, listen, I told you there would be false prophets. I told you it was your responsibility to check them out. Now, how do you check them out? Well, you check out their fruit. And so the way that you would know if I'm a teacher that you can rely on is seeing if the things that I teach, I actually practice. If I actually do those things. And if that's not happening, Jesus says, be real careful. That might be a false teacher. That might be somebody that's kind of misleading you. And you're responsible for that. He goes on to say um, about these kinds of teachers that they may even do amazing signs and wonders. And so uh, he says this way, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. And basically what Jesus is saying, you know, a true teacher has a genuine relationship with me. That's what Jesus is saying. A true teacher has a genuine personal relationship with me. It impacts their character so that what they say is something that they are pursuing to live. And it does take discernment. It really does. It's not like you can just listen to somebody one time and say, oh, I know that they're totally honest. I know that they're totally trustworthy. The idea here is you need to check it out. You are responsible for who influences you. You can make the right choice on the road and take the narrow road and still get derailed by listening to a false teacher, by listening to somebody that's leading you in the wrong direction. And that's on you. That's on me. We've got to pay attention to that. That is the second decision, and it's urgent. It's urgent because there is a time coming where everybody, everything will be settled for what they decided, who they listened to. And then the final decision that Jesus calls us to has to do with what foundation are you building on? And he says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. 
like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, it is foolish. Uh, like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. How many of you know that little song? Uh, how does it go again? Uh, the rain came down and the floods came up. The rains. You guys know that song? All right, you guys need to work in the children's ministry because they sing that in the children's ministry. Okay, I was never in a children's ministry, so I don't really know the song. But it's kind of funny. We have that sort of cute little song on it. But uh, if, if you're used to it in a cute little song form, Jesus, I don't think, foresaw that this would come, become a cute little song because he really was making a very strong challenge to the people that were listening to what he was saying. And this is so interesting because everyone around there, this teaching is given around the Sea of Galilee, with northern part of Israel. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, and right where it flows into the Sea of Galilee, there's a wash. And in that wash, uh, unlike a lot of the area around, because a lot of it is sort of deserty, uh, right where that wash comes in, where that fresh water comes in and hits the Sea of Galilee, uh, there are trees, and it's lush, and there's vegetation, and it's cooler. It's really a beautiful, beautiful setting there. And it's easy to build on because the ground is sort of made out of this sand kind of a thing. It's very easy to level it out and do all those kinds of things. And Jesus says, you know, we all know what happens if you build your house in that sand wash kind of area. And what happens? What happens? You're in huge trouble. Every year, the Jordan River floods, and its banks overflow, and that wash gets saturated with water. There are flash floods that come down the Jordan River. You build your house in that sandy area, it's not a question of if a flood is coming, or if a flash flood, or if there's going to be some major catastrophe. It is a question of when, and if you've built your house on the sand, it will not stand You've seen it happen before. You've seen houses get washed right into the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is saying, that would be sort of stupid, wouldn't it? And everybody there is like, yeah, that'd be stupid. You know, my Uncle Joe, he built one there. And boy, he's out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in his house right now because he's just floating out there because that was stupid what he did. And Jesus says, okay, and we all know that there's a bedrock. We know that underneath the sand and around the Sea of Galilee, you might have to dig through the sand a little bit, but it is worth it. If you get down to the bedrock and you take that effort and you build your house on the bedrock, we know that when the storms come, when heavy winds come, that that house will stand because it's on a foundation. Now, here's what's important. Jesus is not making a case on what kind of house you build. He's talking about what? The foundation what you build it on, what you build it on. And he's basically saying, don't take the easy road, don't build it in the place that it just seems like, yeah, it's so easy to just put it up here, sort of a wide road idea. You need to really be intentional. You need to dig down. You need to... And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you can make the right decision as far as the road goes and go on the narrow road. You can make the right decision as far as who influences you and only listen to good teachers. You can hear God's word because here's something that is in common with both the builder that builds on the sand and the builder that builds on the bedrock. They both hear what? What do they both hear? God's word. They both hear God's word. 
They're hearing God's word. That's not the issue. The distinction isn't some are hearing, some aren't. They're saying some are hearing and obeying, and some are hearing and not obeying. That is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you make the right decision on the road, fantastic. You make the right decision about the teacher, awesome. You're hearing the right things, but there's a final decision. What are you going to do with it? And in fact, in the verses that we've looked at, uh, the, the Greek word for to do occurs nine times. Nine times people, Jesus is calling people not just to hear the right things, but to do the right things, to obey. And here's the point that he's making. He says, listen, if you hear my words but don't practice them, the time is coming when a storm will hit. That's just part of life. Storms hit. Things hit. Crises hit. You know, you lose your job. Finances go belly up. There's a problem in your family. You get sick. Storms hit. And what he's saying is, if you listen and don't obey, if you don't press it into who you are as a person, if you don't press it into your character, if you don't grow that faith, When that storm hits, you're dead. You're in huge trouble. You have nothing to rely on. You can say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, I go to a great church and they teach God's word. And Jesus would say, yeah, but you didn't obey. And so when that storm hit, there was nothing. Or you can say, listen, I'm going to obey. And it might be hard. And that might restrict my freedoms a little bit. And there may be some challenges, and I don't like it when God's working on building my character. That's really hard work when he's trying to stretch my faith by making me be patient. Or he's stretching, you know, my dependence on him by taking away something that's really hard, and I have to just cling on to him. But here's what Jesus says. When you flex those muscles, when that character is built, when the faith is strengthened, when the storm hits, it will still be hard. But you're going to make it. Because you'll be the wise builder. You built on the right thing. And so Jesus comes to the end of the greatest sermon that was ever given. And he said, you know, I've imparted all kinds of wisdom to you, all kinds of knowledge. I've told you about the kingdom of God, but here's the bottom line. If you don't make the decision, it makes no difference in your life. And I want to end this section of our teaching the last four weeks by calling you to make a decision. And here's the first decision I want you to think about. For those of us that have chosen the right road, we've already made the decision that Jesus will be the Lord of our life. We're going to pursue the kingdom of God. And we listen to good teaching. We, we sort of discern and we listen to good teaching. But there are things that God has called you to do. There are things that he has said, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. Or you have the conviction and you kind of know, not really doing that. And the decision today is to say, I'm deciding that I'm going to do it, that I'm going to obey. In this area of my life, I am going to obey. And here I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to take a lot of courage, much more than blowing the horn, okay? I'm going to ask you if there is something in your life that you feel like, you know what, there's an area that I feel like I need to obey in. I've just been sort of hesitating. I've been pulling back a little bit, maybe justifying it or rationalizing or thinking I'll get around to it.
But you know, I feel like God's telling me, now's the time. I've got to get this thing straight. I got it. Maybe it's a relationship you need to work on right now. You know, maybe it's a moral area in your life, and it's like, you know, I've been letting that slide, and I really should not let that slide. Maybe it's a way that you handle yourself at work, or a way that you talk, or, you know, something about your marriage. And you're like, you know, I know. I've just not been obeying. And it's time for me to make a decision. And here's what I want you to do. If you think that that's a decision you need to make today, I'm going to ask you in a second to stand and just say, I believe. Because believing in the Bible is always more than just head intellectual knowledge. Believing means grabbing onto it and saying, listen, I'm going to do it. Even if I don't do it perfectly, I'm going to pursue it. I'm making a decision today. I believe. And so what I'm going to ask, and you're thinking, what? why are you making me stand up? I can do that without standing up. I can just do it in my head. Well, you know, there's something very powerful when we actually stand up and make a verbal commitment in front of people. It's the reason that when you got married, if you got married, and, uh, and it came to that point in the service where they say, you have to say, I do. And uh, you were like, well, do I have to say it out loud? Like in front of all these people? And your spouse would have slapped you in the face. Of course you do. You know, make the decision. There's something very powerful about it. So what I'd like you to do is if you feel like God's calling you to do it, I'd like you to just stand where you are. I will look at you. uh, let Let me catch you. And then just say, I believe. And it will be the start of this decision. And I'll tell you what, I will start. Because as I was putting this together, I recognize there's a place in my life that I have not been obedient. And so I will start and say, I believe. Who else? Great. Fantastic. Great. 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 Wonderful. Great. Great. Okay. Fantastic. Great. All right? Okay? Say it strong. Say it loud. Great. All right? Okay, you can sit down after you say it. Great. Anyone else? Great. Fantastic. I know it takes courage, but there is something very powerful about making a profession like that. Anyone else? Fantastic. It is a good thing. That is a good thing. Listen, I want to close, and I need to do one more thing. I know. Tim, you believe, right? I know. I know you do. Um, I want to close just by saying this. Jesus also talked about the two roads, right? There's the road that leads to life, the road that's narrow, a little bit harder. And Jesus is very clear that he is the gate. The gate is through him. In fact, I want to just show you a couple verses. Jesus says this in John 10. Uh, He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And then a little later in John 14, he says kind of a famous saying that he said, a lot of us maybe have heard it, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And, you know, sometimes people say, well, that seems so narrow and so exclusive. And Kevin, are you really that kind of guy? You're kind of a narrow gate kind of guy where there's only one way to God. And I need to tell you, I am. I am a narrow gate kind of person uh, because Jesus was a narrow gate kind of teacher. And he was a narrow gate kind of person. And you might say that feels so exclusive. And what about the other ways? And why does it? And here's the deal. Jesus is not exclusive. He's incredibly inclusive. He invites everyone to come. But there's a difference between exclusivity and being specific. And Jesus is specific. He says, you want to go on the narrow way? You want to find true life? It is by one way. It is by coming and following me and entering me as the gate and getting off the wide road of just, I'm living life my way and I'll do it my way and sort of, I can handle this to saying, no, I'm going to go through the narrow way and trust Jesus and live the way that he says and have a personal relationship with him. And I'm going to trust that he'll bring me the life that I want to have. And I don't want us to close without giving anybody here a chance to say, I believe to that. Now, if you've already done that, if you're already a believer, if you've already made that decision, this is not for you. This is for you if you'd say, I don't think I've made that commitment yet. I don't know that I've done that in my life. And today is the day. Today's the day when I want to say, I believe. So if that's the case, I'm going to ask you to do this really scary thing again. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And if this is the day for you to accept Jesus as the gate, as your Savior, then stand and say, I believe. anyone that feels like this is the day for that if you've not done it. All right. Well, let me pray for us and then Tim's going to come up and lead us a little bit in a response. Lord, we are so, so grateful that you came and delivered this incredible sermon 2,000 years ago that really has changed the course of history. And for many of us, it's changed the direction of our lives. And Jesus, I'm so glad that you were much more than a moral teacher, that you came as our Savior. And that you are that gate. And we acknowledge that, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that we would be a people. We know that we won't get it perfectly, and you know that we don't. And there's so much grace that covers that. But we want to be a people that make the choice to follow you, and as best as we can to follow the ways that you set before us. Help us to be that. Help us to be that as we move into Huntington Beach to make an impact that we'd be genuine, that we'd invite people to the life we're actually living, not just the life that we talk about, but this is the life we live. And we, we thank you that you allow us to do that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach. For more information about Mariner's, visit www.marinerschurch.org.